Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. We started the year in the book of Luke. Uh, now we're in the book of Acts, right? Reading the, from the same author, Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts. And so we've been in the book of Acts. And, and here's why Acts is important, because, because we as a church, we are seeking to be in alignment um, with the early church. And so it's been really meaningful for us to dive into Acts and, and see what it was like for the early church um, to be established. And so, and so man, the, the past few weeks, the, man, the church has been cooking the church has been moving in the book of Acts. And I love the drama that you see in the book of Acts. And so I'm one that's experiencing uh, the sting of this, this writer striking, this actor striking. My, my shows are not coming up this fall. There are no new episodes. I know that's a very selfish perspective. I know there's weightier things that's going on, but I'm just keeping it real. And so in the midst of me not having my normal crime drama, come on, somebody, um, NCIS, Equalizer, my CBS folks, Paramount Plus, come on. In light of, in light of not having that, man, but seriously, you, you look at the book of Acts, you look at what's going on, you, you immerse yourself into what's going on in this book, and man, it is high drama. It will captivate you with what is going on, where we talked about, uh, man, after the Stephen um, being martyred, you have the ministry of, of Philip, he's going to, to Samaria, no one food with Samaria, right? And then you have uh, Philip and, and the Ethiopian eunuch, and then you have Paul, Saul being con his conversion, and the Lord encountering him, and he has, he has a powerful turnaround, uh, man. And then you have Peter, right, who, who is who is, uh, is ministering to the Gentiles, and, and this is so good to me. I mean, um, uh, Steve did a great job last week, but, man, this was, this was so good to me because you had these, these Jews, you had these Jews that were very, um, man, um, very prideful in their heritage, in the fact that they were God's chosen people, and you had the Gentiles. And so you have Peter in this moment where he has baptized Gentiles, and, and then the folks in Jerusalem are like, yo, what are you doing? And say, like, uh-uh, Peter, you in trouble now. And he goes back to Jerusalem, and he got he to gotta face the music, and he just gives this beautiful, this beautiful account of why he did what we did. And in verse 17, Acts 11 says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? And then the folks said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Listen, if you know anything about church history and Gentiles and Jews back in that time, for them, for the folks in, uh, for the folks in Jerusalem, to make that admission is a big deal. So listen, the church, the church is really cooking uh, in the book of Acts, and then that, we're going to kind of pick it up today um, in Acts chapter 12. And so let me first pray for us, and then we'll get it going. Lord, we, we are grateful for this opportunity to be here today to worship you freely. Um, and Lord, we are expecting today as we open up your word. Lord, would you, would you be here with us? Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, would you bring revelation into your word so that we may apply it directly to our lives? We pray all these things in us in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, excited about what, what's going to be shared today. But, but before I get into it, let me just, let me just say something to you um, and just kind of get some context to kind of where I am today. I am in the position to where um, I need the Lord. I'm in a position where in certain aspects of my life, I have come to the end of myself. And if I'm not careful, I could fall into despair. 
And I know other people in their circumstances, friends of my people that I'm close to, people that I'm doing life with, and, and they are at the end of themselves as well, facing some pretty challenging, um, deeply difficult circumstances. I know the stories of some folks in this room and, and what you're facing with and what you're dealing with and what you're challenged with. And so, so all of this is on my mind and my heart. And so why do I lead with this? Why do I tell you this? I say this to you because with what I'm about to say to you, you have to understand that I'm saying it from a place to where I'm hoping that it's relevant to you in those circumstances. I can't come up here and preach something that I can't believe that myself. I can't preach something to you that is not encouraging to me in my state of needing the Lord today. So I'm just trying to give you a perspective and also the weight and the burden that comes when you stand up here and you preach God's word. And so also I will say to you that you might not like what I have to say um, by the time this is over. And, um, and if I get thrown out of here uh, from telling the truth, well, so be it, man. We're going to have to see what the Lord is going to say, but we're going to say what the Lord says, but we're going to tell the truth. So, you know, I, I'm just, I gave you a heads up. So when it comes, he said it. Okay, all right. Here we go. Um, no, but we're going we're gonna to dive in. It's going to be good either way it goes. Um, but let's get to it. Well, let, me, let me get this up real quick. I have not, let me, let me pause. I have not, y'all, had to learn to navigate the Bible, the tablet, uh, the microphone in my hand all at the same time. So let me get this thing pulled up before I get going, and then my words are not before me, and you guys are like, what's going on on stage? Okay, here we go. I'm just keeping it real with y'all. Keeping it 100, as the young folks say. No, they say keeping it a buck nowadays. Um, I'm getting up in age. Um, trying to stay connected. Real quick, okay, Acts chapter 12. We'll read verses. We're going to get through uh, 1 through 19, okay? So what I'm going to do is, um, and we're going to kind of go through chapter, uh, verses 1 through 19 in chapter 12, and then uh, we're going to kind of come back and then make some observations. But we're going to first try to unpack this a little bit. So let's start with verse 1 in chapter 12. It says this, About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over, I'm sorry, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So here's what's going on. So it starts off with, with Herod. So Herod, as soon as I read this, Herod the king, I'm like, yo, which Herod are we talking about here? Because if you read scripture, there's, there's Herod over here, there's Herod over here, and there's Herod over here. So we have to begin to understand um, which Herod we're talking about because it doesn't necessarily, Luke doesn't explicitly say who we're talking about here, right? And so Herod, there's a, there's a lot of them. We, we see Herod the Great, um, man, in the time of when Jesus was born. Right, Herod the Great was, 
was, was in power and he heard a prophecy about, about this future king that was coming. And Herod said, listen, I'm going to have every uh, baby under the age of two, every male baby under the age of two killed because he was so paranoid of his power being taken from him. That was Herod the Great. And then we have uh, Jesus when he was on the way to the cross and he was in his trials. That's when you had uh, Herod Antipas. That's, he was dealing with Herod Antipas in the time when Jesus was on trial, about to go on the cross. And so now we have a different Herod. This is Herod Agrippa the first, right? And so this is a, a very interesting character. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. And so he is someone that uh, he, he grew up within the royal family, within the Roman uh, royalty, right? And so he grew up really living a really fantastic and a lavish lifestyle. So he was pretty much a spoiled brat. As he was coming up, right, he was he was adventurous. He was he was wildly. He was uh, um, man. He just uh, essentially did exactly what he wanted to do and whatever pleased him in his lifestyle. And so eventually, what would happen um, to Herod Agrippa is he would eventually go to jail. So he had kind of hit rock bottom. Um, and so what happens though is because he had spent time with the the royal family in Rome, uh, he had made a few friends because they had came up. They had. They had gone to school together, and when, when uh, Claudius, which was, was uh, Herod, Antipas, um, Herod Agrippa, excuse me, you get him confused, he was his homeboy back in the day when they went to school together. And so when Claudius became emperor of the Roman Empire, he said, oh, no, my God, come out of prison. Uh, let me make you uh, king over the southern region of, um, of Israel. And so that's what he did. And so he came to power because his best friend Claudius became emperor. And so as he is, as he is in power, um, he, he begins to want to curry the favor of, of the Jews in the town because he wanted to remain in power. And so he knew that it would be key to befriend the Jews and the religious leaders at the time. And so he even went so far as to practice their, their customs and observe their festivals and things like that. So he was, deeply, he was deeply rooted in the faith and in the tradition, but it wasn't necessarily because of his faith. It was all because he wanted the favor um, of those people. And so part of that, right, because, because the Jewish leaders in the time, because they did not like the Jewish Christians that were coming up, uh, that's why it said he began to persecute um, those folks that were Christians because he knew that in the eyes of the religious leaders, it would give him favor. And so that's where it says that, that, that he had had James killed. And so this is James. This is, this is one of the apostles, right? Um, and this was a, a big deal because, because Stephen was martyred, but Stephen wasn't a part of the 12. It was thought that, that maybe because the, the 12 had been so close to Jesus that maybe there was some level of protection that, that the 12 apostles would have um, during this time. And so for him to be killed was a really big deal. And on top of that, Jesus had his inner circle, but then he had the three the three that were always mixed, uh, mentioned together of Peter, James, and John. These were the, the, the inner, inner circle of Jesus. And so for James to be the one that was killed, it was a, it was a really big deal. And so, um, and so because of that, he, he said that, okay, so if you enjoyed, if you like that, okay, I, I got another one for you. I can, I can take down another one of the big three. 
And that's when he came after Peter. And so all this is going down um, during the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So this is the Passover has happened. This is after the Passover. And timing in this instance is very strategic. Because when, when, Herod, when Herod Agrippa I, when he, when he launches his, his plan, right, he wants full attention on him. He did not want it to be distracted by the Passover celebration and the festivities. So he's waiting till after the Passover um, to make it all happen. And so, um, so in the past, uh, when he put Peter in prison, it says that, that he had lost, had four squads of soldiers that were there to, to make sure that Peter did not get out of prison. And so that's, that's, really, that's really heavily guarded. And so what that means is this, each squad had four soldiers. And so uh, at any time, you had uh, two soldiers that were in the prison with Peter, and then you had two that were out, and they would do six-hour shifts to maintain a 24-hour guard over Peter to make sure he wasn't going to get into any shenanigans because the disciples had been in prison before, and they had been released before by an angel. And so that's why you have this fact that, that they are heavily guarded uh, by these soldiers. And then it says that, that while he was in prison, the church was there. The church was present in the fact that they were praying earnestly for, for Peter. And so we continue on, right? So let's get into it. So let's continue on with verse, with verse 6 in Acts chapter 12. It says, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. We just talked about that. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and said, uh, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know um, that what was, go- what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them uh, of its own accord. And they went out and uh, along the street and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. So Peter's in jail. Peter's Peter's being heavily, he's been heavily guarded, right? Chained to uh, the the soldiers that are sitting uh, on either side of him. Um, And and Peter goes to sleep. Um, And then the, the angel shows up. The angel all this glory, right? Lights always accompany with the presence of the angel. But the angel had to wake Peter up. Peter was asleep. And I, ha- I happen to know something about this kind of sleep because I sleep very good myself. And so uh, to kind of highlight the, 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 the significance of Peter being asleep, let me, let me just give you some context. First of all, let me make no mistake about it, right? So my wife is the one that keeps our home together. 
Now, I'm giving you context because I don't want y'all talking about me later on. So let me, let me set this up. My wife is the one that keeps our house together. Anything good that you experience in my home is because of my wife. It just is what it is. She is an amazing mother to Carrington and also to Savannah. She just holds it down. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm a domesticated husband, okay? Matter of fact, I got laundry to fold when I get to the crib right now. Like, it, you know, so, so I'm not absent in the home. I play my role to make it happen, okay? But I'm just telling you what goes on in the Davis household. Our kids are flourishing primarily because of my wife's sacrifice. Thank you, babe. I love you very much, okay? I'm just keeping it real. So now here's the deal. Um, but then at nighttime, um, I have the gift of REM sleep, okay? And so... Here's the deal. When I go to bed at night, um, you know, she can wake me up if she needs me. But, but the reality is I'm probably not going to wake up on my own, right? Uh, Savannah's cries are not going to wake me up. As a matter of fact, there have been times when I've been in the bed and, 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 and Savannah is right next to me. And, and she is maybe in the kitchen going to warm up some milk and Savannah is screaming. Next to me, an angel comes up and it's like, do you not hear your daughter screaming? At least you can just put the passy in the mouth. And I am, I am knocked out and I have to come to myself. I'm very confused when she wakes me up and don't know what really is going on, right? And so contrast that with, you know, recently... Um, she, uh, you know, the live recording, she had to be locked in in Rockford. And so it was my first time with the kids by myself. And I had to, she, let's just say that she wasn't very confident that I was going to care for Savannah throughout the night. But when she wasn't there, right, I, I, I didn't sleep as well. I was, I was a little more attentive. I was a little more restless because I knew that if my daughter would cry, I had to, I had to get up, right? But when she's there, I have confidence. Just me if you want. I'm just keeping it real. I got confidence that, that Savannah's being taken care of. Why do I say this? Because, because Peter is in jail. James just got killed. And then you have a guy in Herod that, that is, is doing all these things to, to curry favor and to be popular and to be liked amongst the Jewish leaders. And so... It's not too far in a stretch of imagination to say if, if James got killed and then Peter's in jail, then, then his life was likely in danger as well. And you have Peter, though, instead of being restless, instead of not sleeping well, Peter's knocked out. Angel had to be like, yo, brother, wake up. Put your sandals on, man. Wrap your cloak around you. We got to go. I'm just saying homeboy was knocked out. And so you have Peter. He's in prison. He's sleeping well. Confidence in the Lord and what he is going to do. Um, and that's where we find Peter. And so then Peter leaves the jail. Let's look at verse 12 in uh, chapter 12 of Acts. It says, when he realized this, he went to Mary's house, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where they were gathered together and they were praying. And when he knocked at the door on the, of the gateway, a servant girl named uh, Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, he did not open the gate. She did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking 
And when they opened, uh, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, tell these things to James. Uh, that must have been James, the brother of Jesus, and to the brothers. Then he departed and he went to another place. And so, sorry, excuse me, my whole thing went blank. And so what you have is you have Peter um, and he goes to, he goes to uh, Mary's house. Mary is the mother of, of John, right? We see John because uh, John would accompany uh, Paul and Barnabas on their, on their missionary journeys. And we also know John Mark to be the one that would author uh, the Gospel of Mark. And so when Peter came out of prison, uh, the first place he went to was, was Mary's house. And so in order for him to go to Mary's house, that means that Mary had to uh, open up her home. That means the believers would come and gather at Mary's house, and they would do what folks do in the church, and it is to pray. And so in verse 5, when it says that, that the church was praying fervently, you have Luke, who is zooming in on what the church looked like, and it was at Mary's house. And so the only reason I bring this up is to say to you and to lift up the value of how the early church was built and the value of opening up our homes and being hospitable. And so if you didn't know, we value radical hospitality. We just did a hospitality haven with an effort to open up our homes uh, as hospitality to the folks that we encounter in our world. And so we will continue to lift up that value as an example for how we should live as a church and how you should live in your own life. And so also it's an example of life together which is who we are as a church. This is our identity. And so Peter had somebody praying for him. And so the question is, who are you praying for? And then who is also praying for you? And so that's what we saw um, in the text. Excuse me, I'm just, I'm just trying to find my notes. I'm sorry, guys, my thing went completely, went completely haywire. But you know what? I'm going to just put this away. We're going to see what the Lord going to do, because the Lord must say, put my notes up. It's okay, because I ain't about to waste your time. So here's the deal. So, 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 we, so we go through Acts 12, right, in, the, in these verses. And so, but what I feel is I feel that, that there's something special here. There's something important um, for us to recognize and for us to know um, as far as, like, how we are supposed to live our lives as believers. In this moment of adversity, uh, we just see and have an opportunity to have an example of how we are supposed to live our lives. Because check this out, um, we, we want the life that Jesus offers, right? We want the life and the fact that he offers us life, he offers us forgiveness, um, he offers us uh, peace, he offers us joy, but oftentimes we don't have a clear picture of the pathway for us to experience this kind of life with Jesus, And right? So again, we just talked about uh, Peter, being in jail. So I would just highlight to you, um, it just brought to my remembrance when, when Jesus was with his disciples and they were in the Sea of Galilee during the storm. When, when, when the disciples were on the, on the boat with Jesus um, in, in, in the Sea of Galilee during the storm, it was Jesus who was asleep. And then it was the disciples that were losing their mind because they were afraid they were going to lose their life, Right. And so now Peter must have been through some things. He must have, have seen some things. He must have had more of an experience. He must be encountering the Holy Spirit that's inside of him because now it is Peter whose life is in danger, but he's now asleep. 
And Peter's done everything right. Peter didn't necessarily do anything to, to land himself in jail. It's all because of an outside force that has caused the hardship in his life, and yet Peter is sleeping. So you ask yourself, how can Peter have such confidence in this moment? How can Peter have such peace in this moment to where he can have REM sleep when he's in jail, chained to two guards? So how do we achieve this life? How do we achieve this life that is offered to us in Jesus? How can we continue to have this peace, and how can we continue to have um, this joy? And so I think it's really important. We, let's go back to verse 7, and it'll, it'll begin to help us understand what's going on. It says this, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So listen, this is not the first time an angel shows up in Scripture. This isn't even the first time an angel shows up in the book of Acts. And so we can't ignore the presence of angels throughout scripture, right? This is, this is a reality of what's going on. And so let's, let's dive into to what angels are. And so go to that, that Hebrew, uh, that verse in Hebrews. And so in Hebrews, we, we get a picture of, of what angels are. It says this, uh, angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are uh, to inherit salvation. And so we see that these angels are, are ministering spirits, right? And so these angels are actually in service. They're in service to us as believers. They're in service to us as people that have given our lives to the Lord, that, that submit to his authority and that surrender to him. And so this is the ministry of of angels that we see. But I don't know about you, but I don't walk around being sensitive and attuned to the fact that angels are present. What was that? Oh, I thought, thought, I thought that was an angel uh, the other day. Uh, my bad. Uh, what was you saying? Like, that's just not what we do. We don't walk around with this awareness of the fact that, oh, there may be angels here present right now. That's not what it is. And so, so, so Paul also has something to say about, about this, right? 2 Corinthians, you don't have to go there. I'll read it for you. 2 Corinthians, it'll be on the screen as well. Chapter 10 says this, right? Uh, verse 3, it says, for we walk in the flesh. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So here's what, here's what, here's what Paul is saying um, in 2 Corinthians. And here's what we see in the fact that this angel is present here in the book of Acts, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Paul acknowledges, I'm in the flesh. I'm experiencing life in the flesh. I'm experiencing things that I see. I'm experiencing things that I feel physically. I'm experiencing things as, as it relates to the emotions that I feel. I'm experiencing life in the flesh. But then he says, uh, but we don't wage war uh, in, in, with carnal weapons. So then he acknowledges, okay, we are at war. There's spiritual warfare 
that's going on. And so that, that, um, that implies that there is an intensity that is a part of the Christian life. That implies that there's higher things at stake. There implies that I can be defeated. I can be taken out. And so it's the reality of what we face. I'm in the flesh, but there's a war. But I don't fight this war the way my flesh does. I, I fight this war uh, in a way that has divine power. I fight this war not in the flesh, but I fight this war with spiritual weapons. And so in order for me to um, fight this war, even though I'm experiencing life in the flesh, I have to access the spirit. So in other words, I have to do something that can break through to another dimension in order for me to fight the battle. Right? So we're talking about. We're talking about breaking through to another dimension in order for us to be victorious here in this life. If you look at Romans chapter 8, right, Paul talks about it to his, his letter to Rome too. He says this, for those who live according to the flesh uh, set their minds on things of the flesh. And those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so he's talking about the mind. There's something I have to do. I have to think differently uh, in my mind if I'm going to access this life with the spirit. And then that second Corinthians verse, it talked about taking every thought captive. He gives us a picture of, of what this looks like in 2 Corinthians. And the intensity that is involved in that. He says, take every thought captive. Captive, And so I'm going to take every thought that I have and I'm going to take the truth and the knowledge of who God is and anything that's not consistent with that, I'm going to destroy it. So just imagine the, the, the consistency, the constant nature in which it will require us to be thinking about and examining our thoughts. And so as we live life and, and as uh, a fear may creep up inside of us, right, the, the Bible says that, no, the, the God didn't give me the spirit of fear. Or, or the fact that in Psalm it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's taking my, it's taking my, my thoughts captive. Or, or if I'm enticed by the things of this world and, and the comfort and, and the things in, in, that, that, that woo me and entice me to go more over into the world and necessarily not into the spirit and in my relationship with Jesus, right? Scripture says that I have come that you may have life and life to the full. In other words, this world won't give it to you. Right? Or, or, or say that you're on the job and someone is, is threatening um, uh, or, or talking bad against you or has, is just coming against you or, or it's just undermining your work or the things that you do or the setting you up to fail. And you may have fear that, man, this person on my job is coming for me. What am I going to do? Right? And then there's the, the scripture that says, if God is for me, who can be against me? So understand, right, this is what it's like. In order for us to break through to Life in the spirit, we have to take our thoughts captive. But for me, more than anything, what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to center my life and my thoughts around the reality of my covenant relationship with Jesus. And the fact that I have a God who loves me, who cares for me, who is for me, and is pursuing my flourishing. I am going to be okay. 
I focus on my identity in him, not who I am in myself, but who I am in him. And so I align myself with those thoughts and destroy the ones not consistent with that. This is what it means to, this is what it means in order for us to break through and achieve that life in the spirit. And so once we do that, um, once we do that and once we get in a habit of, of doing that, we begin to cultivate that in our lives, then we can begin to see things from a different perspective. We can begin to see things through a different lens. It's at that point then where, where our prayers are different, where things just uh, uh, change as far as how we interact with the Lord. And as it relates to our prayers, we, we already have an example in the book of Acts, in our chapter, chapter 12, we just talked about because in here, in, in, in verse 5 in chapter 12, it says this. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So that word earnest, earnest right there, the Greek word is ektinos. And so what that means and what that implies is, is it means there's a, a, a stretching, a stretching and a reaching. It's closely related to to a medical term, that means that where a muscle is stretched to its limit. So when it comes to the, the earnest nature of the prayer, of our prayers, of the prayer of the church, there was, there was a stretching. There is, there is a, a I'm, I'm reaching out all I can to obtain something. The prayers that they were offering in that moment were not casual. They were stretching and given all that they had. And so sometimes in order for us to obtain this life by the Spirit, it, it, it causes us to stretch maybe beyond what we're comfortable doing. You ever stretch to reach something and you didn't get it? And you say, all right, let me, let me try this again. And then you stretch again only to obtain the thing that you need? That's what it's like in order for us to break through to the spiritual realm. So when Andrew is up here and, and leading worship and, and, and it's like, guys, we have to do some things that are uncomfortable. That is the, that's the stretching. And so you guys may be in here. Someone might say, uh, man, I, I get it. I understand. But you know what? I feel like I've been praying earnestly for a long time and I haven't gotten my request met. The thing that I'm asking the Lord for, he, he hasn't done it yet. And so what I would say to you is, is I feel that. Sometimes I pray and I need something immediately and it, it, it doesn't happen. And sometimes it feels like my prayers are, are falling on deaf ears. And so what I would suggest is that we would begin to pray like Jesus. And so the word ectinos, it was, it was also used by Jesus when he, was, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he said, Lord, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Then it said he prayed more earnestly. And then later on it said that, that it, was, it was like he was sweating blood. It was so intense. And so you see the Lord in his earnest prayer. And that's how our prayer should be. That same way. But the reality is this. Jesus died. Right? And in this context, James also died, right? And so the Lord did not grant his initial request, but he said, Lord, not my will, but your will. And then eventually what happened to Jesus? Where did he go? He went to go be with the Father in heaven. See, here's the deal. When, when you pray and the Lord doesn't answer your prayer, when he doesn't answer your request, right, you experience a loss. 
There is a loss. Something that you were expecting is not there. There is a loss that you experience. But what happens when you trust the Lord, when you, when you pursue the Lord, when you surrender your life to the Lord, in, in that loss, in the void that's created by you not experiencing that thing, it creates an opportunity for the Lord to deposit himself into you. And then you experience the fact that the Lord is enough and that he is sufficient. And to the degree that that is not your experience, it just means there's more of the Lord that you need to discover. His nature is there. His ability is there. His ability to be sufficient in those moments are there. But there's a process of us continuing to get to know more of who Jesus is. You put that last scripture up. Here's, here's what it says in, in, in 2 Peter. It says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. As we get to know and increase our knowledge of the Lord, we, get to, we begin to understand his sufficiency in our lives. And you may say to me, but listen, I'm, I'm praying for some really significant stuff. Right? You may be saying that, man, I, I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my son and my daughter. I'm praying for my, my mother or my father. I'm praying for a, a job opportunity. Or I'm just praying for my, for my health. And what I'm saying to you is, is that the Lord is sufficient in the absence of those things. The, the Lord is sufficient in sustaining you and keeping you and satisfying you and giving you what you need. Because the reality is this, if the Lord gives us and answers all of our prayer requests, if it's apart from him, then, then we're still going to be left unfulfilled. We're still going to be left with anxiety. We're still going to be left with depression because he is the only one that can satisfy. And where we place those things above Jesus, that is idolatry. What I'm saying to you is what we need is more of Jesus. And when the Lord does not answer our prayers, it's like that thing is insufficient anyway. And what you really need is the Lord. And the way that you access him is in your earnest prayer, in your earnest faith, in your earnest surrender, in your earnest love is how you access Jesus in that way and experience life in the spirit. And I know for some of you, this is the aspect that you don't necessarily want to hear because the reality is you want what you want. You want health and strength. You want your family to be good, right? You want job opportunities. You want to be able to provide for your family. And I want all those things too. And so does the Lord. But more than anything, we have to understand that what we need more than anything in this life is Jesus. And this isn't a shot of message, but I promise you it's the truth. I promise you that the things that you really want are the things that will ultimately fail you and not, not meet the thing that you truly need. And so here in this place, I just, we talk about um, Jesus and people coming to know the Lord. And, and we look at what's going on in the book of Acts and, and the work that Peter was involved in doing. And so um, what I see in the book of Acts was going on. We think of it like a movement, right? People coming to Christ and we think of it in the work of the church as like advancing a movement. 
we look at what's happening in Acts and, you know, in Jerusalem and, and now we're in Antioch. Oh, the movement is expanding and it's happening. But the reality is this. I mean, this is a love story. You have the Lord going to great lengths in order to, so that people can come to know uh, him through, the, through a relationship with Jesus. This is a love story. The reason that, that, that God sent the angels to break Peter out was so he could tell more people about Jesus so God could be connected to his children. This is a love story. This is about all the ways and all the links that God will go through so that you can know him. And so I understand that my language is, is really in the sense of like, man, personal relationship. And, and maybe you're here today and, and, and for you to have a personal relationship with God is not something that you're accustomed to, to hearing about or that you didn't even know was available to you. This idea that I can know Jesus in this intimate and this deep way. Well, I'm here to tell you that it, it is available to you. And so we mentioned earlier that, that baptisms are coming up. So we'll be baptizing folks October 15th. And the reality is this. I believe, I believe that over the past several months, the Lord has done something in the hearts of people to where they understand their need for Jesus in their life. This idea that God loves you, this idea that God wants you, that, that you are loved by him, regardless of what you have done, that there's nothing, that no, no sin so great that, that God does not want you to be connected to him. This aspect of life where we were meant to live, who we were meant to be is all connected to who God is in our relationship with him. So the invitation for, for baptism is, is for you to say yes to Jesus if that's what the Lord has been doing in your heart. That you can begin that relationship. And all baptism is, is this public confession that, oh man, I have said yes to Jesus. I am his. I am now a part of the family. And it's an opportunity for us to come alongside and celebrate the new addition and the, the, the family of God being bigger because of people's decision to say yes. And so if that's you here today, I just invite you. Sign up for baptism, but yeah, but come holler at myself or anyone you saw on stage. We love to come alongside you. We love to pray with you because that is a really major decision. Life with Jesus is what we need. That's what we need. So we can, we can stand up. We're about to go. So, man, I just, um, I just pray. I said this earlier, we were together uh, with, with everyone that volunteers up here. And, and so I just pray that we could be a church, that we live life by the Spirit. There is a battle that's waging. There is a war that's being fought. And your weapons are in the spirit realm. You're getting to know Jesus more. You do that in the spirit. So my prayer for all of us as we leave today, I just hope that, that we could be people that would pursue life in the spirit. That we would pursue uh, not living in the flesh, but that we would pursue uh, life in the spirit so we have access to Jesus in a deeper way. And that that would give us the boldness and the peace and the joy that we long for. So may we be that people as we leave this place today 
and as we go encounter in our outside world. Lord, we're just so grateful again for life in the spirit. And the fact that you said that, that it was good for you, Jesus, that, that you did go away because you were giving us a helper. You were giving us a comforter. You were giving us a counselor. And that is the spirit. Lord, may we seek a life governed by the spirit. May we seek a life that's lived by the spirit. May we come to know you to a greater degree and greater knowledge of you so that we can experience the victory, the joy, the peace that is available to us. So Lord, be with us, God, as we leave this place. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you until we meet again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.